Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, I'm really delighted that on this Pentecost Sunday, of course, one of the great feast days of the whole year, I can reflect on one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. So the church gives it to us as the second reading for Pentecost this year. I'm talking about a passage from the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Here's just a word, by the way. I'm, I'm currently reading uh, N.T. Wright's new biography of St. Paul, which is quite good. Very lengthy, as all his books are. And uh, I was intrigued by his suggestion, one of the great Paul scholars in the world, that he thinks Galatians is the very first letter that Paul ever wrote. Uh, when I was going through school, the consensus was First uh, Thessalonians was the earliest Pauline letter. He makes an argument, and I won't rehearse it for you now, but that Galatians is the first letter that Paul wrote. So it's a very sacred text. At the very least, it's one of his earliest uh, letters. Well, in this fifth chapter of the letter to the Galatians, he tells the church, this very, very primitive Christian community, that the spirit is at war with the flesh. Now, right away, we got to be careful, hyper-careful, lest we fall into a dualist or Platonist or puritanical reading of Paul's words. Listen, everybody, he does not mean that non-material reality is good, material reality is bad, or second-rate. That's simply not the way a Jew would think, period. And Paul's a Jew. He's, he's a Roman citizen. He's shaped to a degree by the Greek culture, but he's basically a Jew Jews were not dualists. They were not either or, you know, were, hey, pro, spirit, boo, matter. No, everything God made, even things that crawl upon the earth, are good and very good. That's the book of Genesis, right? So let's just eliminate any Platonic reading of this. So, so what does he mean here? Well, it becomes eminently clear when Paul lays out the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit is that flesh refers to sin and the path of sin. Now, you could say he's using, I wish he used a different word, and maybe that's true. But the works of the flesh have to do with sin. The works of the spirit have to do with love. So it's really sin versus love he's talking about, not, not flesh versus spirit in the Platonic way. Okay. Listen now, as he lays out, he lists the works of the flesh. Here I'm quoting from Paul. Immorality, impurity, lust, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, rivalry, jealousy, acts of selfishness, dissensions, factions, drinking bouts, orgies, and the like. So there's Paul to this very primitive Christian community laying out what he thinks are the works of the flesh. Here's the first observation. Please don't believe people who tell you that sexual sin is not an important category in the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we can overstate the importance of sexual sin. We can. And that's a distortion. If that's all, when we think of sin, we think of sexual sin. But 
Don't believe people that tell you that sexual sins are not important in the Bible. What does Paul uh, identify here among in this list? Impurity, lust, orgies. You know, so uh, what he means is that our sexual lives can become disordered precisely in the measure that they move outside the ambit of love and become mere means to pleasure. I mean, that's the, that's the biblical sense. If the works of the flesh are, are opposed to the path of love, what he's saying is your sexual life can become opposed to love if it's simply the means to pleasure. So, for example, the deadly sin of lust is defined by Thomas Aquinas and many others as a taking inordinate pleasure in sex. I'd put it perhaps this way, using another person simply as a means to the end of acquiring pleasure for oneself. I would define lust that way. That's an inordinate, it's a disordered use of sexuality. Does anybody listening to me need to be reminded of the prevalence of pornography in our society? I mean, this multi-billion dollar industry in our society. How about the problem of human trafficking coming more and more into our consciousness? But young people all over the world being treated fundamentally as slaves for the sake of, of uh, sexual gratification. Again, my point, don't let people tell you that sexual sins aren't serious. They are indeed, and Paul is not hesitant about saying it. What else do we notice in his list? Well, look at the emphasis he places on acts and attitudes that divide us. Remember I said last week, uh, I quoted the origin of Alexandria, ubi divisio, ibi peccatum, right? Where there's division, there's sin. Well, listen now as Paul lists these uh, works of the flesh. Hatreds, rivalry, jealousy, dissensions, and factions. So can I suggest everybody on this Pentecost Sunday, when we celebrate the Holy Spirit, that we take a good, hard look at this reality in our lives. When the Spirit came upon the apostles, what did it do? Well, it brought them together. And then as they preached in the various uh, languages of the world, it brought the whole world together as one. Remember that passage in the Acts of the Apostles when all the different nations are, are listed, people from all over the place, all these different places, different languages, but yet they all heard the preaching of the, of the apostles. That's the Spirit drawing us together. So the question again, where have divisions and hatreds and rivalries come to dominate you? How much time? Now be honest. And I'll try to be honest with myself. How much time do I spend kind of obsessing over rivalries and divisions and people I'm not crazy about and people I feel have slighted me, you know? That's the work of the flesh. That's the work of the flesh. To what degree is my psychological and spiritual energy given over to cultivating or brooding about rivalries, divisions, and hatreds? Are there some people in your life that you've not been able to forgive? You know, that's the work of the flesh. So now, listen, as Paul contrasts these to the works of the Spirit. 
So today, Pentecost, we celebrate the coming of the Spirit into the church. What are the signs, everybody, that the Holy Spirit is in you? That's what Paul's going to tell us. That's why, you know, over the years, whenever someone has asked me for help in discerning God's will, and, you know, I was in that business for a long time. I was a seminary person. And so everybody at the seminary is trying to discern God's will. But, you know, every, every Christian is trying to discern God's will. But when people would ask me explicitly, I would point them to this passage in the fifth chapter of Galatians. Because Paul lays out the signs that the Spirit is operating in you. And see, I would tell them, whatever path brings more of this out in you, that's the path you want to take. That's where the Spirit is leading you. Okay? So we heard the works of the flesh. Now, the works of the Spirit. Notice the first fruit of the Spirit that he lists, and it's the most important, is love. Love, agape, in Paul's Greek there, is the great enduring sign of the Holy Spirit. Full stop, end of argument. It's the great enduring sign of the Holy Spirit in you. Love. And as I said a thousand times, to love is to will the good of the other. Is that operating in you? Do you feel this desire for the good of the other? That means the Holy Spirit's working in you. Now, from love flows joy, which is the thing that every single person on planet Earth wants. We all want to be happy. But true happiness hasn't a thing to do with superficial pleasure that comes and goes. It has to do with that sense of connection which is tantamount to love. So link those together, those two signs of the Spirit, love, and from love comes joy, not, not evanescent, transient happiness, but real joy. That's why you know, I've, been, I've been quoting this a lot in, in confirmation seasons. I go around confirming these young people. I've been quoting Mother Teresa. Don't worry about doing great things. Do the smallest things with great love. You'll be happy. Okay? What are the consequences of love besides joy? Paul mentions first, patience. I think that's wonderful. Why do we become impatient with others? Well, usually because they're not doing things our way, right? They're not moving fast enough toward the goal that we want. But listen, if we're really willing the good of the other, then we're patient, even with what we might take to be their slow progress, right? If my life isn't about me, it's about what's good for you, well, then I'm patient with the pace that you're keeping. He next mentions kindness, I love everybody is how concrete and simple that is. Sometimes when we speak of love, we can get rather grandiose and abstract. But see, love, willing the good of the other, incarnates itself in the simplest acts of kindness. Like saying hello, inquiring how someone's doing and really meaning it, holding a door for someone, writing a thank you note. I mean, you don't have to be Mother Teresa to be a person of love. You can do it in the simplest ways. And then the last fruit of the Spirit that Paul cites is 
self-control. Again, it's, it's wonderfully concrete, isn't it? Those who lack self-control, those who fly off the handle, who indulge in outbursts of temper, well, they're not focused on the good of those around them. They're preoccupied with their own feelings, their own frustrations, their own needs. Why aren't you doing it my way? Why aren't you going at my pace? But see, if your focus is truly on the good of the other, then you'll master your own thoughts and feelings and reactions, always putting them in the service of the other. It's very concrete, isn't it? Very practical. Self-control is therefore one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now, Listen to how Paul concludes this famous section of the letter to the Galatians. I'm quoting him here. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit. Okay, all those listening to me right now who have been baptized and confirmed, have therefore received the gift of the Holy Spirit, There are your marching orders. Nail to the cross all that is not of love in you. See what I'm saying? See what Paul's saying. It's not me. (laughs) Nail to the cross all that is not of love in you. Uncover all those passions, thoughts, desires, attitudes that are opposed to love and crucify them. Put them to death. And then walk in the way of the Spirit which means willing the good of the other, even in the simplest way. You'll find the joy you want. Galatians 5, everybody, a great way to celebrate Pentecost. Read this great passage from St. Paul, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.